Welcome to the Scalar Learning Podcast, your central hub for all things related to education. Join us every episode for the most up-to-date tips and strategies on how to maximize student potential. Sit back, listen, and enjoy. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Scalar Learning Podcast. I'm your host, Huzaifa, as always. And today we are continuing a trend that is becoming very common on this show. We are continuing with big trendsetters in education, but moreover, not only trendsetters in education, but trendsetters in the ed tech space, specifically those who are making a big impact and difference with video tutorials. And what's really cool about today's guest is it's not just a tangentially related subject to what I love, which is math. It's straight up math tutorials, math videos. And today we're talking to somebody who's been on YouTube for a very long time. I actually looked it up because I saw when the channel was first created. And then I had to look up when did YouTube first begin. And it's a pretty tight margin. It's only about a year, year and a half apart, which is so cool. So we have somebody on the show today that has been there since nearly the beginning of YouTube and been making videos and all sorts of great math resources for students to use to learn from. And not only that, he's actually a math teacher, has been a math teacher for nearly 30 years and he has now moved on to a new position, which I'll let him talk about as well. But we're going to talk about math videos, math education in that context, how it ties in, how it elevates students. So without further ado, Dwayne Habecker, welcome to the show. Hi there. Thank you, Isaiah. How are you doing? I'm awesome. How are you? I'm doing great, man. It's been a wonderful day. All right. Well, first of all, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule and agreeing to come on and be interviewed by me, which is really cool and really fun for me. So before we get into all the nitty gritty of your channel, which is amazing, we're going to provide info to anybody who wants to check it out, of course, at the end of the show. Before we get into that, tell us a little bit about your background and your entrance into the world of education. Okay. Well, you're your intro made me sound old. So it's, it's, I am old. So it's a long story. Experienced. Um, You're experienced. I like that. That's a, that's a better way to say it. Um, let's see, I started teaching in 1989. This is all pre, um, pre YouTube. That's for darn sure. And, uh, started teaching mostly in the middle school, although I did some high school and, you know, just been, I was a teacher. So it's really kind of pre-internet teaching, uh, we and um, the big breakthrough was when in our our faculty room, early '90s, we got an old Mac Classic computer, and it was their first initial contact to the internet. Um, that kind of created this new vision that teaching math could be something that. Um, all the information doesn't have to come from me, that we can actually use this little box to get information that I might not have at my disposal in my little brain. But man, so that started it, is this idea of the learning that goes on in the classroom doesn't have to be all me, that we can uh, learn from the entire world. And you know, back in the day, we called that the internets or whatever, whatever we called it. So, um, 
And then specifically why I'm here today is, uh, you know, I got to this point where I saw that students, oh man, students were in a, a wide, had this wide spectrum of abilities when they'd come into the classroom, right? Uh, if I was teaching a seventh grade, it is likely that I would have two uh, kids operating two grades below and two kids uh, and kids operating two grades above. So if I was teaching seventh grade, I might have kids operating from a fifth to a ninth grade level, right? And so I, I knew that wasn't going to work if I was the sole provider of all information. And so way back in the day, uh, Apple made it available, QuickTime. Uh, so we started recording videos and uh, storing those little short little one minute videos on my little, by then I had some sort of Mac computer of some beige version uh, sitting on the back counter. And any kids who needed help, if I wasn't available, they would go to that computer and they would watch the videos uh, local on the big old huge files sitting locally on my computer. And then the next phase is uh, Google came around because they were they wanted to do that Google video. This was a direct competitor to YouTube at the time. So I had to choose between storing my videos on YouTube or on Google video. And back in the day, YouTube was known for, you know, boogers and farts and cats. And then Google, Google video was more academic. So I stored all my videos on Google video. Um, and then of course, when Google bought YouTube, that's, that explains the year and a half that you pointed out at the beginning that that's why all my videos got moved to YouTube about a year and a half afterwards is because Google bought YouTube. Ah, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I have a, I have a lot of questions and Go. I'm going to, I'm going to kind of throw two at you simultaneously. So the first question is, I'm just curious, what are all the different levels of math that you've taught over the years this is my first question. My second question is, but the really, the more substantive question is it's, with these video explanations, I'm so curious about this because I teach sixth grade and we actually use in class a pre-algebra video course that I made. And it's it's a challenge that I'm, const I'm constantly trying to tweak it and improve the, the, the self-pacing and all that. So, so after you answer what have you taught, how did you get it? You know, what was your process as far as getting everything to work seamlessly between lectures, between kids that wanted to shoot ahead, kids that needed help and they could go to, you know, how did, how do you make it work really smoothly? Oh man. Well, I'll answer that one first. When I, when I get there, I'll let you know, but okay. So, um, first, you, you know, I, I, I taught, let's see, 28 years now, um, uh, all sixth, mostly sixth through seven, uh, sixth through eighth grade. So middle school, although I did some stints at eighth grade, uh, ninth grade. And really remember when I was teaching sixth grade, that's when I would have kids coming in at perhaps a fourth grade level. They're typically whatever grade you're teaching, you're going to have some kids operating two grades below you, two grades above you. That's kind of like how the bell curve works. Right. And so, uh, I ended up having to make videos from anywhere from fourth grade content up to really ninth grade content is really the, the bulk of all my videos. Um, so how do I use them? Uh, that's your second one, right? Um, right. So it, it's been, a, 
golly, about a 15-year process of honestly trying to figure out how do we do this? What, what, what does, how do we make uh, independent learners in the classroom? And, you know, if we want our kids to be 21st century learners, and if we want them to be able to learn on their own, not from a teacher, because if you think about it, kids are, are going to be in school up until maybe 18 or 22 years old, right? And then they're going to spend the next 60 years of their life as adults having to learn on their own. So what what we've been doing for these kids, their first 20, 22 years of their life has been a complete disservice because what we've been doing historically is we've been showing teach, uh, students that the way to learn is you come to a classroom, you sit and you listen to some old bald guy pontificate on how to reduce a fraction. And, and then once they graduate, we say, good, now go on and be adults and lifelong learners. Well, what does a lifelong learning look like from a kid who has spent 20 years of his life learning by sitting at the foot of a teacher, right? Um, so we, I knew that I wasn't teaching them in my grades the way I wanted them to live as adults. The way I want them to live as adults is uh, if they don't know how to prune the peach tree in their backyard, I don't want them to look for a teacher and take a six-week course on this. Um, I want them to go to the internet. I want them to find uh, blogs, vlogs. I want them to just figure it out by the world's knowledge. I mean, the world has this incredible amount of knowledge. No need to go to a teacher. So I knew if that's the way adults learn, that we have to start teaching that way in the classroom, start teaching the kids uh, in a way that's going to allow them to transfer that way, that, that learning skill as adults. So, uh, back in the day, uh, we stored those videos locally on little computers and that kid, when he's working on something, if he needed help, uh, he could choose to talk to me, he could choose to talk to a colleague, or he could go to that internet, that computer in the back and seek out help. So that's the first kind of trick is how do we create kids to become uh, autonomous learners, like uh, independent learners? And so whatever you do now in your sixth grade class, uh, just think metacognitively and reflectively on how am I as the teacher paving the way for this kid to learn as a 30-year-old? And if if what you're doing is causing the kid to come to you as the teacher, then you're not really paving the way towards helping that kid be a lifelong learner. So that was the, the, the general approach, you know, uh, that realization of whatever I do, I need to help this 11-year-old begin the process of learning as if he's 45. See, that's interesting because, and, and I think that is that ends up being a huge product out of these types of of methodologies for learning and I but I hadn't thought about it that way see my original the impetus for me was how can we make math engaging for everybody and and I thought by self-pacing I mean I'm not the first to come up with this obviously but I you know you see it all the time but when when kids can kind of go at their own pace and then have a resource that allows them to move as fast or as slow as they want then I thought it would engage 
the kids who want to move really fast, of course, because they could kind of keep in, keep stay interested. They could feel like they're really getting ahead of the uh, of the ball, and that's fun. And then the kids who need more time, they don't feel like they're overwhelmed. They don't feel like they're just kind of being dragged along. And so that was my thought. But then there's that second piece, which I hadn't even thought about, which is in fact, which is true, which is so true that by doing this, we're now we're now creating. Uh, pedagogy that sort of mimics what what happens as we become adults and how we continue to grow, let's say, as entrepreneurs or or educators or whatever it may be. So that's really interesting. Yeah, that's exactly. I mean, you when you the day, first day you started this podcast, you didn't know what the heck you were doing. Uh, you didn't suddenly then go to a three week uh, seminar so that you could sit at the feet of some guy who then is going to assign you homework problems so that you could then learn how to do a podcast. You looked it up on the internet. You went to apple.com and started looking around, reading up on how to blog and how to do podcasts. And I'm guessing uh, you Absolutely. probably figured out most of it on your own. Well, that's because you're a lifelong learner. And, you know, it's our role as teachers to try and help our kiddos as they're learning math also learn these skills so that they can transfer um, their, their learning techniques, I guess, as into adulthood. Now, let's talk about some of the results you've observed over the years, maybe even in the, let's say, the last five or, or so years, where you've probably really honed your technique and, and mastered the combination of in-class instruction and videos. What have you seen compared to, let's say, other teachers or other more standard curriculums? So the key, I think the biggest takeaway from this idea of using videos and and now we call it flipping and we all this over this stuff. I, I call it learning on demand. And because that's what, what we do as adults, we learn on demand. We don't call it flipping. We don't need to create some fancy word for it. Just what do we do as adults? Good. Let's call that the same thing for when we're dealing with 12-year-olds. So it's learning on demand. And the, the, the big, huge benefit from it is uh, when I'm teaching, if I'm teaching with a small group and the other kids are at centers or they're at, in, in the work centers or they're off on the floor working with friends on some independent practice, whatever they're doing, the idea of this video stuff is it, it allows kids to have the authority and the autonomy and the independence to kind of be in control. And the moment that stuff happens – uh, that's when the kids are going to start becoming engaged with math because they're going to feel like they're in charge. They're in control. It, math is something that they can take charge of rather than math rolling over them like a, a big old steamroller. And so that's inherently engaging when they become in charge. Um, you know, if you think about kids playing video games, man, I, they love it. It's because they're in charge of it. They get to run around and do stuff. It doesn't matter how much they fail or how hard the darn game is. They'll keep going. And it's because it's inherently engaging uh, because they have that authority and that autonomy. And uh, learning math is the exact same way. And the videos are a great way to uh, support that. What about for what, what I've noticed is I see some kids take it and they run with it. And they go at these amazing paces and they're comprehending things and they're just crushing the test. And then I find sometimes where it's not, you know, actually I found for the majority it worked really, really well. But there are certain cases I've noticed where it may not be a good fit. Like what do you do for those kids that it's, it seems almost like 
they take that autonomy, but it somehow slows them down. So a crazy important point that you're bringing up is the idea of um, autonomy, but not leaving them alone. And really, it speaks to the fact that teachers are always going to be needed. We are never going to be outsourced completely. Uh, For the kids for whom the videos just aren't, it isn't clicking for them. It's not that the, the math is too hard. It's just that that form of engagement isn't working for them. That's when I, I put on my UDL hat, uh, Universal Design for Learning. And that's where I, I start to think about the classroom as it relates to the kids. And this might be another podcast for you in another, another day. But the idea of uh, how am I providing a variety of engagement strategies for my kids? How am I providing a variety of ways to represent the math for my kids. And then the last one is how am I providing a variety of ways for the kids to demonstrate their understanding? So it's that engagement, representation, and expression. And so videos uh, is one great way to provide variety in how the kids engage with the mathematics. So sometimes they're going to be sitting up with me. We're going to be doing a small group discussion, and that's I'm going to be doing the teaching. That's the human element. Some kids are going to be going to the videos and getting essentially that same content, but they're going to be getting it at their pace on the videos, and that works for them. And then other kids are going to be working together in small groups. So the idea is I don't need to rely entirely on the videos because if it isn't working for some kids, hey, I've created a a UDL-friendly classroom, and they just come to me or a colleague. Awesome. You recently were received a new position, uh, which I'll let you give the title and, and description and all that. I want now with your new added responsibility of sort of overseeing a, a plethora of math curriculums, what how do you how are you integrating your knowledge of the use of video tutorials and so on into what you're going to be taking on now? Oh, dude. So the short answer is, I don't know, but here's the, the longer answer is in the olden days, I was making uh, very generic videos, uh, tied to just content titles, reducing fractions, adding fractions. So it was, um, curriculum agnostic. It was state standards agnostic. It was because back in those days, uh, we had 50 states and 50 different state standards. So there was no continuity when common core came, Uh, That allowed up to 45 states to have teachers talk to one another because suddenly we were all talking about the same standards. And so that's when I really got into the videos and I made uh, curriculum-specific videos, about 900 of them. Uh, I made uh, Eureka Math videos. So Eureka Math, Engage New York, it's a it's a free curriculum. It's open source, open educational resource. And, and because it was OER, it meant it was really undersupported as far as the teachers. It was great curriculum, but it didn't have this big old huge publisher to make videos and go out and provide PD for the teachers to uh, really fully utilize this great curriculum. So I made that curriculum. It was So all these videos, 900 of them or so, are tied directly to the Eureka Math curriculum, which is, so those videos are nice, super useful for the teachers and the kids, whoever wants, and the parents really, whoever wants to use them. 
but it's kind of useless if you're a district that uses GoMath or anything else, Bridges or whatever. And so my new job, I used to be a teacher, coach, math coach. Now I'm the math coordinator for Merced County Office of Education. So now I'm responsible for supplying uh, math support for 21 school districts and they did not all choose Eureka Math. So, the, you know, the six or seven districts using Eureka Math, they can continue using my videos. What I have to do now is figure out how do I take this philosophy that I have of using videos to meet the needs of the kids? And how do I kind of go back to the olden days of generalize it and attach these videos to concept titles rather than specific standards or rather than specific uh, curricula? so that uh, we can, uh, once again, kind of allow students to get their needs met by videos. So I, I plan to make those videos and just tie them to titles. Another really, really important thing that I'm starting to see, you're doing a podcast that's pure audio, that's great. Um, I'm seeing a need for vlogs, you know, uh, me doing a video where I'm kind of more talking to the teacher than the kids, helping the teacher grasp um, how we really want to be teaching in this era of common core. Uh, how do we, how do we want to increase that rigor and, and take advantage of the coherence and, and increase the amount of academic discourse in the classroom. And so I think I see myself in my new role, making videos targeted more towards teachers than the kids. That's really cool. You know, that, that, uh, brings to mind another question. How important is it? So it's, we've talked about the importance of being able to use videos as training, not only for math in the present, but also becoming an adult learner. How important do you think it is in, in, in specific math classes for students to be able to use random videos from random teachers across the country versus be able to watch videos that were handcrafted and created from their own teacher? Oh, okay. So... No question, no question whatsoever, a kid watching his own teacher, uh, a video made by his own teacher, and at seeing his teacher's face in that video, it's important because the teacher can make a screencast without the face ever being shown. So um, when the student gets to see the teacher's face on a teacher-made video, that's the best quality. The next step down and we have some evidence in this research out there that the next step down is the teach uh, the student getting to watch a, a video made by his teacher, but never getting to see the teacher's face. So that's like a screencast. The next step down is uh, the student watching a video where he gets to see the face of some other teacher, uh, and and that's his next step. Now that would be the equivalent. That's kind of like well, the, and then the lowest quality is watching a video made by some other teacher and you don't even get to see their face. Uh, and the reason that's the lowest quality is, okay, so you don't get to see a face, so you don't get that human interaction, and it's a person you don't know, so there's no relationship being built. The highest quality is when the kid is watching a video made by his own teacher and you get to see the teacher's face because now you get the best of both worlds. You get that human interaction. You're making eye contact and reading face or facial cues and it's your own teacher, so um, you have that relationship built. So without a question, if I had my preference, I would love it for nobody to watch my videos because they're all, uh, the, all the kids are watching videos made by their own teachers. 
my videos are just a backup for, for people who just don't have the capacity to do that. You know, it's now you mentioned the evidence for that. It's, I also, I have, uh, several video courses on a education platform called Udemy. And I go to their conference every year. They've only had had two in the last two years. I've, I've gone to both of them. And that's something that they talk about a lot is the importance of talking head videos and how, in fact, they don't even allow you to now put out a course with a promo video that's not talking head because of the engagement, the, the difference in engagement when you're actually on screen. And it's kind of like, how are TV shows shot? Why are they shot that way? Why do they have a person? Why is that important? Obviously, because it it creates that bond, even if it's a virtual bond between the host and the viewer, and it and it makes it more engaging and grasping. Uh, indeed, that's absolutely true. And so, some of my the, you know the when my Eureka Math specific videos, I started out with just plain old screencasts without my face and. I had, for, I guess I had allowed myself to slip away from best practice. And so the later videos, the last 400, 500 videos, um, all have my little, my little face there. And, uh, and I didn't do that to be prideful and have people say, Hey, look at me. I did it because I was responding to best practice and research. Those kids need to see a face and then they can go ahead and learn math as well from it. But that face that recognition is a uh, really important. So I want to talk, uh, this has been super fascinating just from a general educational standpoint. I want to just now put a little focus on your YouTube channel, which I believe has 20, was it 24,000 plus subscribers? Is that right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So what is, what is the name or how can people find your YouTube channel? <laughs> well, remember, okay. I was doing this just for my own kids. So I don't have a really cool name. Like you know, scalar learning. I don't, I don't have a name. You know, it's like, uh, my YouTube channel is, in fact, I went to a YouTube creator conference. I got invited to one of these things and everybody has a real cool name and they called me and my channel name is D Habecker. It's so embarrassing, but that's what it is. So all you have to do is go to youtube.com and then slash D H A B E C K E R D Habecker. That's technically the name of my channel. Lame. But you know, I see a lot of people actually that use their names in their branding. And so, I mean, it does actually make a lot of sense, especially when, when it's, it's sort of all you and your math knowledge. So I, I don't think that's that bad of a name. I've seen, I've seen plenty worse. So I think that's, that's a great name personally. All right. So tell, what can, what can students find if they come to your, and if you guys didn't get a chance to write that down, D Habecker, uh, it's going to be of course in the show notes or you can rewind and listen again, but it's going to be in the show notes. So don't worry about that. So tell us what can students expect to find when they come to your channel? So when they go to my channel, uh, they're going to see largely a whole ton of Eureka math specific content. So organized by grade level, by module, by lesson. So it, it's really easy to navigate. That was one of the big things I learned at the YouTube creator conference was how to organize your channel to make it user friendly. Um, for kids who are not using Eureka math, they just continue scrolling down and they'll see another couple hundred videos at the bottom, uh, organized by topic, fractions, decimals, percents, algebra, etc. Um, and really what I want my, my big goal is for students and, and perhaps even better students and parents to sit at home and watch the videos when, uh, during homework time. So the idea is 
you got the homework. And the classic story of homework is the kid says, I don't know how to do it. And the mom says, well, let me help you. And the mom tries to help. And the kid says, well, that's not how my teacher did it. All right. And, and then they start battling and then there's a fight. And then, and that's kind of the, the genesis for math anxiety. Uh, a lot of math anxiety actually as, begins as a result of homework being assigned. It's crazy. Uh, so what I want is for kids and parents to say hey, during homework time, hey, we don't know how to do this. Let's go to see what Dwayne Hobecker has to say. Let's go watch his video. And I become this third point uh, so that the kid and the parent can be talking about me rather than having a confrontational argument. And so that's really my vision for that channel. It's interesting that you mentioned math anxiety because I've actually done a few episodes about math anxiety. And I think sometimes people don't believe me that it's a real thing, but it's a real thing and it's a diagnosable thing. So it's definitely something that parents should be mindful of and you want to avoid. I mean, it's it's it can be pretty traumatizing. Yeah. yeah. In fact, new stuff just came out saying um, that math anxiety is actually kind of like transferred from one person to another like a virus. It, it literally is uh, transferred like a virus. Well, that is one of the reasons why I do what I do, because I like to smash math anxiety to pieces. And I don't really think there's a, a it's it's strange. I think part of there's a lot of reasons why it exists. But one of the reasons is because of the, the fictitious notion that there are math people and non-math people. I'm sure you agree with me on this, that there's no such distinction. And I think some of the the split happens because some people gravitate towards it because it's it, for whatever reason, they find it to be fun intrinsically and some don't. And I think that's a lot. That's one reason why the divide is created. Another reason is just bad programming. We're just told for some reason or we get that wrong belief that we're not going to be good at it. So it kind of just perpetuates from there. But absolutely. And I wouldn't be, I, I tell people this all the time. I wouldn't be doing what I do and working with kids, tutoring, teaching all these things if I didn't truly believe that. No, good, good. You're, you and I are on the same team. Awesome. So, Dwayne, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. This was super fun to chat with you and really fun to check out your YouTube channel and learn about it and learn about how it all began. And I think it's great. And, I, and yeah, I, I know you're going to keep doing what you're doing. And, and, I, and I hope you do because I think it's, it's a massive thing for all sorts of students out there. And again, I know you gave your YouTube channel before. Can you give it to us one more time? Sure. It's youtube.com slash... D-H-A-B-E-C-K-E-R, D Habecker. Yeah. All right, there it is. So guys, make sure to check that out again. All this information will be in the show notes. You can check out the show notes at scalarlearning.com in the podcast section. And feel free to subscribe to our YouTube channel, of course, Scalar Learning. Just go to YouTube, search for Scalar Learning. Subscribe to the podcast. Make sure to Check out our episodes. Episodes drop every Monday. So we got all sorts of amazing people that are coming up in the lineup. So make sure to keep coming back for new information, everything related to education. That's it for today. Thank you guys so much for joining. I'll see you guys next time. Take it easy. Scalar learning. Give me that scalar learning.